You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cuz, we live. This is Locked On Hornets, presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team every day, local experts on the number one daily sports podcast network. We appreciate you joining us here today. I'm just going to go solo. You can find me on Twitter at Walker Mail. Doug not going to be joining me today, but he is going to be joining us on Friday. You can find him on Twitter at Doug Branson, L-O-H. And I think Nada will probably be in for a fire Friday at Nada the Scribe. You never know with Nada whether he'll join us on a Friday or not. But I'm hoping we can get Nada on Friday again. Nada uh, at Nada the Scribe. So we do have Curtis Birch of Locked On Kentucky. It's a long interview. We're going to break it up into two parts. He gives us excellent insight on P.J. Washington, and he gives us everything from the early days of uh, John Calipari actually recruiting P.J. Washington, not even just his freshman year, but we're going back all the way to his recruitment to the end of his tenure at Kentucky, eventually transitioning on his way to a professional career with the Charlotte Hornets being selected number 12 overall. So Curtis Birch, again, of Locked On Kentucky, thank you so much to him for joining us. Doug took care of that interview, so I'll break that up in two different parts. That'll be our second and our third segments of the day. Was going to have that maybe just be the entire show because it's a long one, but I did think it was prevalent for us to talk about the Boston Celtics rumors that come out. And not even rumors at this point. They are tweets by Mark Stein. So what was funny to me is that we saw this happen yesterday. Mark Stein, about midday or so, he reported that the Boston Celtics were going to be stealthy suitors of Kimba Walker. Stealthy suitors. Now, what was funny is a lot of people weren't really surprised about all of that. I don't think I don't think a lot of Hornets fans were surprised. I think they had been thrown out as a possibility in a bunch of different scenarios beforehand. Just saying, hey, it makes sense. Kyrie Irving doesn't seem like he's going to go back to the Boston Celtics anymore. They could need a point guard. You know, this is somebody that certainly doesn't have all of the off the court trouble that Kyrie does. He's not a flat earther. You know, this isn't somebody that goes along that way of thinking. And so it would make sense if. You had Kyrie Irving's type of play, except without the head case and except without killing the team's chemistry. So I think a lot of people put that out there, but it's funny. Mark Stein put out at uh, he put out almost 24 hours ago. He said the Celtics, I'm told, are emerging as a stealth suitor for Charlotte Hornets free agent Kimba Walker. So then he tweets again about three hours later, not very long after he puts out the stealth suitor. He says, "Quote: We can scratch stealth." Boston and Dallas are at the front of the line that will be trying to lure Kimba Walker away from Charlotte, league sources say. So it wasn't very stealthy if he says they are a stealth suitor. It's being reported. But now they're like, oh, you know what? Screw it. We're all after Kimba, Dallas, mano a mano. Let's see if we can get this guy away from the Charlotte Hornets. So now it looks like a three-team race at this point between the Dallas Mavericks, the Boston Celtics, and the Charlotte Hornets. Maybe there's another team that emerges. We've talked about Indiana a little bit. But with them getting T.J. Warren, and it is presumed that they're going to bring back Boyan Bogdanovich. Now, Zach Lowe keeps reporting that they do have a walkaway price. But if they do sign Boyan Bogdanovich, that would take the Indiana Pacers out of any running for Kimball Walker, really. And so it does seem like a three-team race at this point. We've talked about Dallas a decent amount, pairing up with Luka Doncic and Kristaps Porzingis. And I think that's a good big three. I think a lot of people would be intrigued by that. Certainly some question marks about KP's injury history. It doesn't seem like the Dallas Mavericks are, it 
they're not only going to give him the qualifying offer or match any restricted free agency offer, but they're going to give him a big boy extension. And that has some people raising their eyebrows because it is a guy that has a big injury history. But you know what he's capable of if he's healthy. And so they're going to give him a big extension and say, you know what, we're going to take this gamble. And so there are risks to that. I think everybody thinks Luka is going to perform well as he progresses into the NBA. Just a really good rookie season last year. So you like that trio. But we haven't talked about necessarily the fit with Boston. And so Boston loses Al Horford. And they would lose Kyrie Irving. It, it looks like all but a certainty at this point that Kyrie Irving is going to leave, and presumably for the Brooklyn Nets. So Al Horford, Kyrie Irving gone. The way that they'd be able to get Kemba Walker is if they don't bring back those guys, they don't bring back Terry Rozier, who they could match an offer from another team, but you wouldn't bring back Terry Rozier. And so Daniel Tice is another free agent they could bring back, but... You know, you would have to get rid of the three bigger name free agents for them and Terry Rozier and, of course, the big names in Kyrie Irving and Al Horford. That would be able to get you Kimba Walker. And if you look at that team, that would give you Kimba, Jalen Brown, and Jason Tatum as your three best players. And depending on Gordon Hayward, whether he's able to return to full form, you know, that's a team that I like. I think that's a good situation. Now, I still believe in Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. I am one of those people that believes that chemistry was completely nuked by Kyrie Irving. I like Kyrie Irving as a player. I think he's a hell of a talent out there on the basketball court. It seems like Jason Tatum was one of the only dudes in that locker room that was legitimately friends with Kyrie Irving. You have the Duke connection. I guess it makes sense. It seems like Jalen Brown was, in fact, the biggest, the biggest foe of Kyrie Irving. Terry Rozier, you heard, say some comments. I, I think it was on Speak for Yourself or one of those one of those debate shows. But Terry Rozier discussed how he had to sacrifice more than anybody. And so I don't think anybody is going to be pining for Terry Rozier to come back to the Boston Celtics, but that would be still a very good situation. And I think you can expect Jason Tatum to improve. You know, Jalen Brown going into his fourth year, I think you could expect him to improve. And so that would be a good situation to me. And you know, you you know Kimba's going to get along with everybody. And so that makes sense. That that team makes sense to me. And I believe in Brad Stevens still. Look, I told you guys that I I know Brad, I remember Brad Stevens. He wouldn't know me. <laughs> maybe, maybe he would recognize me. But I remember going to basketball camp when Brad Stevens was the guy that was handing out pizza and all of us cared about listening to Todd Licklider talk to us about basketball. Todd Licklider coaches at Butler, gets him to a Sweet 16 appearance, goes to Iowa, and then he kind of flames out at Iowa, and he kind of bounces around here and there. Eventually, Brad Stevens is the coach with the Boston Celtics. He gives Todd Licklider, I think, a scout job. But it's just, it, it's funny. Like, we're all sitting Indian style, waiting for Brad Stevens to reveal Todd Licklider is going to talk to us. You know, get out of the way, Brad. Hand us our pizza. That was just, It's just funny to see the glow up from Brad Stevens, but it is somebody that I do believe in. I mean, I find it hard to believe that, okay, we, we praise Brad Stevens as this fantastic head coach. And all, all of a sudden they're the fourth seed in the Eastern conference and they should have been better. That's a, it's a talented team, but they're the fourth seed in the Eastern conference where Kyrie completely bombs everybody's chemistry. Gordon Hayward is trying to be implemented back in the rotation, trying to get his basketball legs under him once again after suffering an injury five minutes into his Celtics debut. And 
that's a team that still gets fourth in the Eastern Conference, they probably should have been better, but I can understand some problems. So I'm not going to have this Brad Stevens is not a very good head coach talk. So you give me Brad Stevens, Kimball Walker, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and maybe a Gordon Hayward that has his basketball legs under him. Maybe he's able to continue to progress a little bit. Yeah, I love that situation for the Boston Celtics. And they would have a way to do it if they don't bring back all the free agents and Daniel Tice is somebody that they could bring back and maybe some minor dudes. But the, the three big ones in Rozier, Kyrie Irving and Al Horford, and you know, you know two of those guys are gone. And if they're able to bring Kimba, then three of them are gone. I like the way that fits, man. I think that looks good for them. Now, the only thing is, are they going to be able to lure Kimba Walker away? The words that Mark Stein uses, are they going to be able to lure Kimba Walker away from the Charlotte Hornets? Because we all know Kimba could make a lot more money here. And he does love Charlotte. He's told us a million times now that he loves Charlotte. So is that, is that basketball roster going to be more attractive and attractive enough for him to turn down money and for him to turn down the chance to stay in a city that he does seem to legitimately love? He's going to meet with them. He's going to meet with Dallas. I imagine he is going to play the recruiting game a little bit. It's nice to be courted. I don't think anybody expects him to just sign with the Charlotte Hornets and only take the meeting with Michael Jordan. So we'll see exactly how all of the Boston Celtics now solidly in the mix along with the Dallas Mavericks. And we'll see if the Lakers try to go after Kimba if they're able to create enough space. But it seems like it's just going to be enough for a guy like D'Angelo Russell rather than trying to go after Kimba Walker. We appreciate you joining us here on the Locked On Hornets podcast, a part of the Locked On Podcast Network. When you're driving to or from work or around town, all you have to do is tell your smart device to play podcast Locked On Hornets, and we'll be right there with you for the drive. We'll take a quick break. Remember, we got Curtis Birch on the other side of it, talking with Doug Branson about the newest member of the Charlotte Hornets and P.J. Washington drafted in the first round of this year's NBA draft. All of that next on the Locked On Hornets podcast. You are listening to the Locked On Hornets podcast. Did he go with Myers Leonard as his first comparison as a big man hitting from the three-point line? Oh, Funny. did I say Leonard? I meant uh, Miles Turner. Okay. <laughs> you did. I think okay. you said Miles Leonard. That was Leonard. on me. Good start about that. That's a bad mistake. I know when I think shooting big men, Myers Leonard is the first guy that comes to mind. Absolutely. I was thinking Steve Clifford and I might be Hot the shot. same wavelength. Hot shot, there. Myers Leonard. <laughs> that's, that's his nickname. It's time for more of the Locked On Hornets podcast. All right, Curtis, welcome to the show. I want to go back all the way to P.J. Washington's recruitment to Kentucky. Why do you think Kentucky recruited P.J. Washington in the first place out of Finlay Prep? I just think he was a really talented guy. Um, I got a chance to see him some. I think I saw him at the All-Star Game and a couple other events. I saw him in person at a high school event. He he just seemed to be a versatile guy that John Calipari really, really wanted. He can do so many different things. And uh, he, he's, he's a type of player that Cal knew that he could use in, in many different ways. And um, this is something that kind of seems to be a trend that Calipari's been going with lately. Uh, his dad was the coach. And so a coach's son or you know, a, a parent who had pro experience, something along those lines, he, he kind of gravitates to those guys recently who kind of know what kind of work you have to put in 
uh, to get to the next level. So all those things put together uh, made for a pretty good Kentucky recruit. So versatility, high IQ. Did Washington meet those expectations in his freshman season? Did he impress or or did he leave people wanting a little bit more after his freshman season? I think they definitely wanted more. And he he you saw flashes on everything he can do, with the exception of the shooting, which we'll probably talk about a little bit. That came his sophomore year, but everything else from the forward position, scoring in the post, all those things you, you saw but you didn't see the consistency yet. And I think that's the thing that John Calipari spent a good portion of Washington's freshman year trying to draw out of him. Sometimes he was super successful. Washington had some monster games as a freshman. Sometimes he wasn't. Sometimes he kind of disappeared, kind of just faded in and, and wasn't the star that Calipari knew uh, he could be. He continually said this even through his sophomore season that P.J. Washington should be the best big man in the country. And those are like lofty expectations. But through stretches, you saw that he he was. I mean, he he was really impressive through a good portion of his sophomore season and got talked about for a bit as um, SEC player of the year. He didn't end up winning that award, but uh, he was right there in contention with it. So you mentioned Calipari basically having the expectation for P.J. Washington that he could be one of the best big men in the country. What do you think held him back from realizing that? Yeah, I mean, it's just something that I think a lot of people kind of deal with, focus, maturity, and those kind of things. It's it's not really a knock on Washington. He, he never he was immature in the sense that, you know, he was joking around on the court when he wasn't supposed to be or anything along those lines. Just kind of realizing that the work that he needed to put in and then doing it. Um, and also, the, the something that did kind of hold him back that we didn't find out till later uh, when he came back for his sophomore year is he was battling a finger injury um, through, I think, about half of the SEC slate and then into the, the postseason tournaments. And that you could see some discomfort and there was it, it, he just wasn't held. He, he could see he was hesitating on a lot of things and that held him back a little bit. But once he was fully healthy, I mean, there was a stretch during the seasons that he was just unbelievably dominant and no one could could really handle him. So. I think it was a it was a balance of health and you know this is something that obviously you guys know in the NBA that when you're playing that many games in a season you're not going to be healthy so it's kind of pushing through injuries that on lower levels would hold you out of games or limit your production and his sophomore season he was kind of able to push through some injuries and push through some things and production didn't really fall off so that was that was the step that probably was holding him back as a freshman a little bit and Kentucky, a school that's seen as a breeding ground for one-and-done prospects, in your opinion, or, or what you saw or what you heard from P.J. Washington, why did he decide to come back for that sophomore season? You know, uh, P.J.'s father, Paul, he he was he talked to the media a lot. He, he's a really good, good guy. And, you know, he and P.J. discussed this at length, but it just came kept coming back to something simple. He wanted to be guaranteed that he was going to be a first-round pick, and the NBA wasn't ready to guarantee him that. And so he came back and worked on things. Uh, now, obviously, within those, within that kind of context, there were things that he wanted to work on, uh, mainly kind of some ball handling, playmaking a little bit. We didn't see a ton of that from him, but he was working on it. And then the biggest thing, I think, was his shooting. So those two things he wanted to come back and improve on um, and, you know, raise his stock to where he would be a first round pick. And he did 
he did that. So he accomplished the the reason he came back to Kentucky for a sophomore year. I think I saw a tweet from uh, from you, Curtis, uh, and and maybe this was joking on on PJ Washington's part, but uh, it said that uh, he decided to come back because someone online told him that uh, he wanted him to come back and be the star of Kentucky. You know, yeah, that was a joke because uh, when this is like a yearly tradition that I always uh, joke with. Um, uh, guys put their names, Kentucky players put their names in the NBA draft, and all the replies are Kentucky fans saying, please come back and be the star. Please come back and be the star. We need you. And I said, I just want one Kentucky player to come back and and be like, you know, I was going to go pro, and then I saw this this tweet from Joe Smith, and he, he really inspired me to come back for another year. <laughs> uh, but uh, the thing that I, I really uh, liked about PJ is because we got into this discussion at one point this season, and um, you, I think that you probably being around, you know, Malik Monk and Michael Kidd-Gilchrist, you, you, they probably discussed this about getting used to fans' expectations and dealing with stuff, which is, you know, an, an NBA thing and at the pro you have to deal with. But those guys get used to it to a certain extent because PJ was dealing with some, it sounds crazy, but it like online hate from UK fans, even though he was Kentucky's best player this year. He went through some slumps like everybody does uh, during a season, and people would come at him and say, you need to do this, you need to do that. And he he's very mature in the sense on how to deal with it. He kind of compartmentalizes it, uses a little bit of it as motivation, but doesn't let it affect him too much. Is it normal for a player that stays at Kentucky for more than one year to make the kind of improvements that general manager Mitch Kupchak seemed enamored with when it comes to uh, P.J. Washington from his freshman season to his sophomore season? Is is that normal at Kentucky to see that kind of improvement over one year? Um, well, it, the, the funny part is there's not a ton of examples of guys, you know, coming back overall that end up in the NBA from an improvement standpoint. If they do come back, there are obvious improvements, but I can't really recall one a specific example of a skill set that was taken to another level like P.J. Washington shooting. It was something that was a complete non-threat as a freshman. And then um, as a sophomore, it became kind of a, a running joke. People gave him multiple nicknames as like a shooter. There was a 3J uh, his his teammates called him Pistol because he was such a great shooter, uh, and it, I mean it was it, obviously he's he's not like uh, Steph Curry or Clay Thompson or anything along those lines, but it, it was a real shot that well, when he put it up, you thought that it was going to go in by the end of the season. The shooting was real, and I don't I don't we didn't we don't get a chance to see a ton of guys come back who have NBA uh, possibilities like Washington did, um, but I I don't really recall anybody improving one skill. Uh, taking such a jump in it from one year, uh, from the freshman year to the sophomore year. Uh, guys, A couple guys have come back, and they've all improved, but Washington seems to have really uh, raised his stock way more than anybody else has. Uh, now, was this a case, his, his shooting improvement, was it a case of just becoming more accurate? Did he do anything with his release? Did he rebuild the shot at all? Is it, did he reveal any kind of work that went into it other than just sort of, you know, the repetitive action of learning to shoot from that distance. No, it was, it was mostly, he always just credited to work and going in the gym and taking the shot. You know, I talked about his dad being a coach. I think the form stuff and all those things were always pretty good. It was more of a comfort level growing up being so big. He was on the inside more than the outside. And he was always a a decent shooter. Uh, The, the, the really kind of thing that's 
interesting with him is his free throw shooting also improved. And I think that, like, I think that is mostly all confidence and kind of a mental thing uh, with Washington. So, you know, there's negatives and positives to that. If it's a mental thing that you can't get over, then it can become a real hill to climb. But he seems to be able to have gotten over that and extended the range. So I think it was mainly just putting in the work. Um, he, he had all the foundations uh, from when he was growing up with his dad as a coach and then the UK staff when he got here, uh, they just continued to work on him. You are listening to the Locked On Hornets podcast. <laughs> now, here's the funny part. I was listening to this to prep it for the show and um, my wife walks in and was like, what are you yeah. listening right to? That's a little scary cool. if, if you don't have the context. If you walk in and you start hearing that, yeah. that's Darth Vader. I didn't have pants on. That didn't help <laughs> yeah, either. No, um, it's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. stick with some skill talk other than shooting Curtis of the skills that he showcased for the Wildcats over the two years that he was there which of those skills do you think will translate most at the next level and the second part to that question is is there a skill that he needs to kind of put in a safe and lock up forever what I mean by that is 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 there something that he did at Kentucky that you just think man that really worked in college but he probably just needs to to put that in a safe and and don't worry about that for a while as he as he works on other parts of his game. Yeah, um, the safe part. I, he like I, I talked about him wanting to improve his handle a little bit. He that's probably not something he needs to to do much of at the next level. It just isn't a strength at, at this point um, for him. As far as a skill that I think will translate, you know, he can score um, in the post. He had a couple post moves that were pretty indefensible. And obviously, you're going to face a different level of competition in the NBA. But he went up against great competition in college. Kentucky obviously plays a pretty pretty rigorous non-conference schedule. And in the SEC, had a lot of success in basketball uh, this year. Had a lot of uh, guys drafted early on. So he, he was going up against pros a lot. And, you know, he was going up in practice. Now, these guys aren't uh, in the NBA right now. But, you know, Nick Richards and uh, EJ Montgomery, both seven footers are close to it. So those are the guys he's going up in practice. So he's, he's used to facing off against size and, and he just, he just seems to, it's like a combination of finesse and bully ball to a certain extent that he's able to just score in the post if he gets good position. And I think he'll be able to do that at the next level as, as well, mainly because, you know, he's, he's not going to be, intimidated or worried about the the increased size and the increased strength that he's going to see from the NBA guys. We talked a lot about offense so far. The Hornets were a top 10 offensive team last year, but they really struggled to defend anywhere on the floor, but especially at the rim. Uh, how do you think PJ will contribute to improving the Hornets overall team defense, uh, even not if it's in the coming year, but just in the years to come? Yeah, uh, that's something that is is one of the things that he has a lot of tools to be a pretty good defender. He is he's a little undersized when you just look at him and, and look at his height, uh, six eight, six seven, or along those lines. But he's got really really long arms. Uh, um, he can he can defend a post uh, fine. He's not a great shot blocker. That never was his forte. But he he's capable of you know kind of 
getting in the way to a certain extent and has enough length and range to bother guys. I, I think he's a a player that isn't going – he probably won't improve a defense, but he won't make them worse if that makes sense. He, he's probably like a, a net zero on the defensive end. But maybe there's upside there that he just hasn't tapped into yet. He has a lot of things going um, – and for him, you know, physically, uh, but he's just kind of got to put that defensive uh, mode together. Speaking of upside, PJ generally regarded as a safe pick for the Charlotte Hornets, someone who is high floor, low ceiling. Do you think that's a fair read of his NBA projection? Yeah, I, I like his, 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 I think his ceiling is, you know, probably starter, uh, really good contributor, but he's never going to be, I don't think he's a superstar on the NBA level, but as you pointed out, the the, the floor, I think is also very high because there's just so many many things he fits in into the modern game and and specifically that shooting, Um, and I think that's real and he's proven that. And so I I think that he is the safe pick and I think he's going to be in the NBA for a long time. Let's talk about Washington just as a, just as a dude, just as a person, as a yeah. teammate. Uh, how was he regarded uh, by the team, by the press, by the fans during those two seasons uh, in Lexington? Uh, pretty even keeled. Uh, he he didn't show a ton of emotion or a ton of personality. He wasn't super boisterous or anything along those lines. All his teammates really liked him. They would really have fun with him. He, he had a smile on his face for the majority of his career, I would say by the second half of his sophomore season, you could really see him come into his own as a person and his confidence started to show through and he became a leader uh, on that team. So the leadership started to come out. And that's something that I think that there's a direct correlation that that's when he started playing his best. It it is a chicken and egg thing to a certain extent. You know, did the confidence come and then off confidence come when he was talking to us and around teammates and then he put it all together on the court to become a college basketball superstar or did it go in the reverse order? Um, But he was always really good to deal with. He always had fun with us to a certain extent. I, I really always enjoyed talking to him, but it wasn't. It was never, you know, he, he's probably not going to give you that funny viral clip. He's just so kind of even keeled and uh, doesn't really make a lot of noise. But in a lot of instances, that can be a good thing. What will you remember most about the P.J. Washington experience in Kentucky? Probably that stretch of the year when he just went went off on uh, a bunch of teams. I think he scored over 20 points in eight of 10 games during the conference run for Kentucky. And he was just in unstoppable in the post. And this is, well, this goes back to his freshman year, but the one quote that really stands out and really kind of shows how impressive he can be on the offensive end is when they were playing in Knoxville um, and he was going up against Grant Williams and after the game Tennessee ended up winning but Washington got cramps or most people think Kentucky would have ended up winning that game because he was basically unstoppable and Grant Williams admitted after the game that Washington was in his head like he he was he was so so dominant and such an unstoppable force that Williams is like was starting to worry about it and it was affecting his play um, and so then Washington goes out and Tennessee's able to pull out the victory. But, you know, rarely do you hear an opponent admit that a guy's in their head. And that kind of shows the talent that Washington has. And that's something else that uh, I didn't bring up about his improvement. You know, he, he got cramps a couple of times as a freshman, obviously was winded. And he really worked on his conditioning 
during that uh, offseason between his freshman and sophomore year. And he was able to play um, completely uh, without any kind of those issues. So his stamina and conditioning really improved as a sophomore as well. Well, the front office certainly uh, enamored with the improvements that P.J. Washington made. Great insight there. A few more questions before I let you go are related to Kentucky's relationship now with Charlotte, which just uh, continues to grow. I mean, everyone sort of feels like that because this team is run by Michael Jordan, that there is a bias towards players uh, that played for Carolina. But so far, the evidence suggests that they really like what's coming out of Kentucky uh, let's start with Malik Monk. Are, are you surprised at all at the struggles that Malik Monk has gone through in his first two seasons? I, I mean, really, it, it hasn't. I mean, it's been a struggle defensively, which I think a lot of people expected uh, that there would be a learning curve there, certainly. But it's also been with his shot as well. He just hasn't made enough uh, uh, three-point shots or, or really shots anywhere on the floor to justify keeping him on the floor. Are you surprised at all by that? Uh, yes and no. I, you know, I knew Malik Monk was a little bit of a streaky shooter when we saw him here at Kentucky, um, but I think that he he's just so talented. It would feel like eventually it would be able to work out uh, for him, and I I think he's just he's a little bit undersized. There's there's like. When his shot isn't falling, he's got other negatives, as you know, and I'm, I'm probably not, you know, breaking any news, but he always uh, seemed to be able to step up in big moments and, and kind of make big shots. And, you know, every night is a big shot in the NBA. And maybe if he can somehow make, you know, that transition in his mind, because when, when, every, when all the lights were on Monk at Kentucky, he really came through. I mean, he made unbelievable runs. Uh, in, when Kentucky season ended, I, I have this burned into my memory because I was down there. It was an NCAA tournament game in Memphis, and uh, they were playing North Carolina, and it looked like Kentucky was out of it. And he and De'Aaron Fox just started doing things and hitting shots near the end of the game and got it tied when it seemed like, you know, with five minutes to go, Carolina was going to easily walk away with the win. Um, but Monk was able to hit some shots and get the game tied. Now, I'm sure many of your fans in, in North Carolina know Luke May then hits the shots and they go to the Final Four and and on and on. But, you know, you saw that. And then earlier in in his in that season at Kentucky as well, when I think it was 41 against North Carolina, and he was just, you know, unbelievable and was hitting every shot possible. So he seemed to kind of perk up when, when the lights got bright. And maybe he needs to somehow kind of realize that the lights are always bright. And if that's possible, he'll be able to, you know, get up for the moment more often. Yeah, it'll be interesting to watch. It's uh, been reported that he's that he's adding weight, trying to add strength, and uh, hopefully it will mean that he can stay on the floor a little bit longer. Certainly, uh, if if the roster is what we think it's going to be next season, with or without Kimball Walker, they are going to need his ability to uh, manufacture offense. I want to move to the to the future. If the Hornets find themselves in the lottery again, which it looks more and more likely that they will. Who should the Hornets be paying attention to out of Lexington for the next NBA draft? Yeah, that, it, it's, it's it's kind of an interesting thing because it seems like Kentucky is settled in. They're not getting they're getting elite players, but it's not the elite of the elite from the NBA perspective. Not like top five guys. It's kind of guys that are as you as we were talking about. You know, PJ Tyler Hero um, in the late lottery range. Uh, the last draft, you know, Kevin Knox, Shea Gilgis Alexander. You know, around the 9, 10 uh, to 15 mark. Um, but I think Kentucky's got some guys that are really interesting this year. Uh, Tyrese Maxey will probably be the first uh, Kentucky player 
uh, drafted. I, I think that's the way the projection goes. He's a really interesting combo guard. He can shoot it from what I have saw. Um, Personality-wise, he's an unbelievable teammate. Everybody loves him. He's. Uh, I was talking to the UK basketball assistant the other day, and he described him as a gatherer, kind of one of those personalities that other people just want to be around. Uh, the also the other one um, who I'm really interested to see the projection of next season is EJ Montgomery, and he is coming back for a sophomore season, and he doesn't like to be compared to taking PJ's path, and I, I think that it's kind of unfair considering how. Um, impressive PJ sophomore season was to to lay that burden on his shoulders, but he's a guy who, as I mentioned, is is almost a seven footer, but has a ton of touch and a ton of range, and can do any everything on the court if you just put him in a workout. Can shoot, can dribble. Uh, he was he's one of those classic guys who hit a growth spurt when it was when he was in middle school or beginning of high school and was a guard growing up. So he has some ball skills. It was often joked about. He he told everybody that he was a uh, in something called the BGN, the Big Guard Nation, because he he, could, he <laughs> joked about being a guard, and he's like a seven footer. He's like, "What the world? You're not a guard," um, but he, he's just got so many skills. So I'm really interested to see how he uh, produces as a sophomore. Curtis Birch, great information. Uh, you can hear more of that on the Locked On Kentucky podcast. He's joined by Kyle Tucker of the Athletic Daily podcast on the, uh, the Kentucky Wildcats. Curtis. Thank you so much for the time. 